The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Pray with me as we dig into the word uh, this morning. Jesus, thank you for the season of Advent, and just thank you for the precious gift that we awake. Thank you that you deemed us worthy to come and live here on earth uh, with us, and so we're just grateful for that. And as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that you speak to our hearts, convict our hearts. Just pray that your Holy Spirit will overwhelm this place with your presence this morning. We also pray that we can put all of our burdens down and just enjoy fellowshipping with you and our fellow brothers and sisters. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Thank you. Third week of Advent. Uh, before, before I talk about Advent, I just want to share a, a story uh, about me. And so, before moving to the U.S., Christmas was my favorite thing in the world. And then I moved to the U.S., and I had my first Thanksgiving, and I had stuffing and mashed potatoes. And that bit Christmas for me. <laughs> but growing up in Nigeria, we celebrate Christmas way different uh, than you guys. And the reason Christmas was always a special uh, holiday for me is because I can imagine what's happening back home right now. Usually two weeks before Christmas, you know, you have all the church bands just, you know, rehearsing every day. And so usually uh, in the evening times, you just hear drums and trumpets, you know, people rehearsing. And then usually people are getting the best attire. You know, you buy new clothes and new shoes because you want to dress up for Christmas. That's what everyone does. Well, my favorite part was always going to the village where my grandparents lived because where the grandparents are, everyone comes. And so I have my cousins, my uncles, and my aunts. And it's just always a wonderful time. No electricity, just people and stories and snakes and all the other things that want to kill you. Great. And then Christmas Eve, nobody sleeps. So on Christmas Eve, my grandfather always buys a cow, a whole cow. And so the men usually spend the day trying to prepare the cow. You know, we cut all the meat, take all the junk out, and then get it ready so that the women can, will cook because you also make your best meal on Christmas Day, which you share. And then in the evening time, the women usually start cooking. You know, they're boiling milk, the meat, the frying meat, they're doing all kinds of stuff, right? And because I was greedy and I couldn't wait until Christmas to get the meat, we always used to make our own local fireworks, and so we would light it up on fire and then throw it where the women were cooking, and then when it set off, the women got scared and ran away, and then me and my cousins would go steal the meat that we wanted. I never said I was a saint, but that's what we did every Christmas. <laughs> yes. 
And then around 11.59 p.m. Christmas Eve, all the youths were all outside, and we have our drums, our trumpet, everything. And we march around the whole village just playing music. I mean, it is a wonderful time. And then on Christmas morning, you're like, yes, this is the day. You know, you wake up in anticipation of what the day is going to look like. Usually I'm always excited because I know it's going to come, right? You know, you take a shower, you dress up, you go to church for the service, you come home, and then usually the food that everyone makes, usually the Christians, it's supposed to be shared with your non-Christians neighbors. And so since the Muslims are our neighbors, the best meal that we make, we take them to all of our neighbors, we share it with them. And they also do that during their Eid holidays, right? And so after you share your meal, you come home, you eat, and then the fun begins. So we have a tradition where during Christmas, any child, doesn't matter for, from 4 to 17, or even if you're older, you can decide to, right? You go and visit your friends, you go and visit people, you go and visit your neighbor. But anytime you're in a home, or even you're outside on the street, and you see someone, when you say Happy Christmas to them, they give you money. <laughs> you can see why Christmas was my favorite. Right? And I knew the places to go, and I knew what houses to go. And so Christmas was about making papers for me. It's like it was a time to make money. And one of my fond memories of my dad, my dad was an accountant, and so he would always have new currencies, money that he will share with our neighbors and all his children. And I just love just having Money. I made a lot of money on Christmas Day because that was what Christmas was all about. And then imagine the disappointment when I moved to the U.S. Outside gifts, yeah, they're cool, but uh, they're different. I remember my first Christmas, my host family wanted me to see snow, so I spent it in Greeley, Colorado. And on Christmas morning, it snowed, and they couldn't wait to wake me up. Like, Ibrahim, look outside. It's like, it's all wild. It's like, whoa, why Jesus came true? That was supposed to be a joke. Thanks for not getting it. And then I was like, all right, let's see if African Jesus will come true later, because I need to make money again. And then as the day progressed, I was looking out the window. It was too cold. Nobody was outside. You Americans just like staying indoors. Why? So yeah, I didn't make money that Christmas, but I got a lot of gifts. And today, I still don't make money on Christmas Day, but I get a lot of Lowe's and Home Depot gift card because that's what Ibrahim gets for Christmas. And that's what I value the most as a general contractor. I just keep buying tools, right? And so as a child, Christmas was all about the things that I can get. But Christmas is so much more than that, right? And so three weeks ago, Jake preached about uh, Zachariah, right? Who was in his old age and the angel of God coming to him and saying, you will have a child and that child will prepare the way for Jesus. He was in his old age and yet he was given a gift of a miracle. That is what 
Christmas and Advent is all about. And then last week, Daniel preached about Mary. Mary was a no one. She was just a girl minding her own business. And then the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her, you will carry the Son of God. Change her entire life upside down. Mary was unworthy because of who she was in that culture. And yet, that didn't matter. God saw her to be a worthy person, and he blessed her. And Mary praised the Lord with the ma- uh, great magnificat that Daniel uh, shared with us. And then this morning, I'll be preaching about the shepherds. The shepherds. It's like, when, it's like the advent goes from, all right, Zachariah, he's a priest, it's okay, and then Mary, uh, nobody, and then now the shepherds, and these are the people that are part of the Christmas story. How amazing is that? Our intro for this series has been, God promised for thousands of years that a Savior will be born, and for thousands of years, days, weeks, months, And years came and went with no sign of his coming. It became harder and harder to believe that God was telling the truth. And then it happened. The promise was fulfilled. Here for the whole world to see was the manger born king, Jesus Christ. These four weeks of Advent, we invite you to see the promise of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus and believe. This is what Christmas is all about. Our scripture this morning is in Luke uh, chapter 2 from verse 1 to 20. And I'm just going to read the whole thing and you can follow along with me. Luke chapter 2 from verse 1 to 20. Actually, I'm going to start with uh, verse 1 to 7. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census will be taken of the entire Roman Empire. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I love Luke. Luke is all about the details. And that's why I love reading the account of Luke. And so, in these first verses, Jesus is born. It's not Christmas yet, so I feel guilty talking about the birth of Jesus. It feels wrong, but it's part of the passage. So I'm just going to skim it and make a connection to what my sermon is about. And so, in verses 1 to 3, we see that Jesus is entering into a world that answers to Rome, right? Here is God coming into a world, right? But in that world, Rome is king. Rome is everything. Rome is the superpower. His homeland has long known military occupation and an emperor in a distant land. And then Augustus issues a decree. 
a universal census. Everyone needs to go to their hometown to be registered. And the unstated purpose will have been to ensure efficient tax. Usually when Rome calls for something like that, they want money. They're probably trying to start a war and they need money to support their soldiers. This was what the census was all about. And so Luke also mentioned the census four times in the spaces of five verses. Why is this important? Because it was the census that advances the plot by getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem for the birth. But the political undercurrent shall not be missed. Caesar's orders and the parent of Jesus do what is required, despite the picture of social revolution in the Magnificat. Remember from what Daniel preached in the Magnificat, he talked about God raising the lowly and putting down the rich and the powerful. But it seems like it's not happening here, because Luke's narrative, it's not advocating insurrection. Yet, the hint that the imperial power of Rome is not the whole story creates suspense. What is going to happen? How will God's promise of a Messiah whose rule will never end collide with the power of Caesar Augustus? And then in verses 4 to 5, for the second time, the narrative numbers Joseph among King David's descendants, this time adding the details that he traces his roots to Bethlehem, the city of David. What's a better place for a Messiah to be born than from the city of David, since he is coming from that lineage? Like Mary, however, Joseph lives in Galilee, in a town of Nazareth, and only the census leads him to Bethlehem. This was all the divine work of God. God was using the census, even though it was meant for evil, because if you are living in that time, you were tired of paying taxes. But out of that, God was going to make something good out of it. A savior was going to be born during this time. And so Mary accompanies Joseph. And then the narrator wants us to know what their relationship is is about, he says they, she is engaged, and then he mentions she is pregnant, which is a fulfillment of God's promise to Mary like we saw last week. Mary is pregnant. And then it happens. In verses 6 to 7, during a stay of unspecified duration in, uh, in Bethlehem. Luke doesn't tell us how long they were in there, but he tells us that Mary gives birth to a son. Jesus is finally here. And then Mr. Detail lets us know that Mary wraps the infant in bands of cloth and lays him in a manger. And so why did Luke have to include such minute detail? Why do we have to know that Jesus was wrapped in a cloth and was born in a manger? These images carry special significance in the story. Both the shepherds who will seek the child and to readers who ponder the meaning of such a beginning to a life of a king. 
a king being born in a manger? The clothes band exhibits the mother's nurture of her child as it's fitting for, even for royalty. And then the manger or the feeding trough is a more elusive image. This is Jesus' first bed because there was no place for them in the room where guests stayed. Perhaps foreshadowing his later rejection in his hometown. You can read that from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 30. And the difficulty he will experience as a son of humanity in finding a place to lay his head. And so even before he was born, he was already experiencing difficulty because they couldn't find a place for him. So he had to be born in a manger. It was like it was showing us what Jesus' life was going to be about. And as we read later in the gospel, he faced so much resistance. People didn't welcome him. He didn't even have a place to sleep. That is the best part of the story. But that's not where the story ends. Because in the later verses, heaven declares good news to shepherds. God is born. And who hears the news first? Shepherds. In verse 8 to 30, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see these things that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so for a third time in this story, a messenger from God makes a dramatic appearance and delivers the birth announcement that reveals the identity and significance of the child. Remember, it was an angel of the Lord that showed up to Zachariah. It was an angel of the Lord that showed up to Mary. And same now to the shepherds. Shepherds hear good news that a Savior has been born. And the angel gives them a sign that will validate the message and at the same time disclose something of the child's character. 
This is very significant because now we see the role reversal proclaimed in Mary's Magnificat. We see that playing out because if you read Luke chapter 1, verse 51 to 54, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humbled. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. It wasn't the rich and the powerful who got the news. It was common shepherd. And so you see the Magnificat now playing out. The shepherds are among the poorest of the poor, despised and outcast, existing in the margins of society. They live in the fields with flocks. They tend flocks that likely belong to a wealthy owner, flocks that they do not own and whose owner pay a subsistence wage for them to take care of. They may have well have lost their own fields due to heavy debts to, fall to fellow Israelites and might have even had their own flocks once but had to sell them at unfair prices in order to pay burdensome taxes to Rome. And among occupations, shepherding was on the lowest scale, right? If you brought a man home and you told your parent, uh, mom, dad, he's a shepherd. Uh, sorry, you can't do that. Can't do that. Nobody wants to marry a shepherd. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy. And for that reason, they were even barred from giving uh, testimony in court because no one believed a word that they said. They were also considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. Thus, they were complete outcasts in society. And yet, these are the people that God chose to give the news of our Savior's birth, the first ones to hear it. And so why were ordinary people like the shepherd the first ones to hear the great news? I remember when Isaac was born. I mean, this was uh, during the height of uh, coronavirus, and so I was the only one allowed in the hospital, and I couldn't leave. And I was communicating with our family because they wanted to know how Felicity was doing, and Isaac just took his time. I guess it was warm and fuzzy inside, and it's like, I don't want to come out, so I'm going to stay as long as I can. Finally, we were like, all right, you just need to come out. Right? But when he was born, when I held him, I just started off thinking about the people that I wanted to share this good news with. And it wasn't shepherds. It wasn't people that I've never met in my life. It was our families. Right? My family in Nigeria were waiting to hear the news. And all our families here in the U.S. were waiting to hear the news. Those were the ones I told that news because it was a very important news. It was our firstborn. And Jesus was Mary's firstborn, and yet shepherds were the first ones to hear this news. Why? Here are a few reasons. Shepherds have symbolic value in the story. David was a shepherd before he became king. The shepherds of Israel are the Jewish kings in the Hebrew Bible. The shepherds who hear of the Messiah's birth recall the narrative of 1 Samuel chapter 16 where David's anointing took place among shepherds. An angel tells the shepherd 
what the readers know already. Today there has been born to you in the city of David a deliverer, the Messiah, the Lord. That is a first connection that we can make. Or perhaps, though, they knew the law of Moses, which grants forgiveness of death every Sabbath year. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And return of each of his own land, land every jubilee year. Perhaps, too, they had heard of the prophet's oracle of the year of the Lord's favor, which promises good news to the oppressed. Perhaps they are hoping for the day of their vindication when God's restoring justice appears. So if anyone is prepared to see the day of God's coming, it might seem to be our humble shepherds. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. These were people with everything to lose. They were poor. They didn't have anything. And so if there was anyone who needed that news more than anyone, it was the shepherds. And maybe that was why God showed up to them first. But the most obvious reason, I think, the most obvious implication is that the gospel first came to social outcast of Jesus' day as was promised in Scripture. This was a fulfillment of scripture. Because if you read Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 to 3, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. Are the shepherds poor people? Yes. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness from prisoners to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his uh, splendor. Doesn't this fit the profile of what a shepherd's life is like. And also, this is what Luke's gospel is all about. Because Luke is an outsider. Luke is a Gentile who believed, right? But in his account of Jesus' life, he's asking the question, who did Jesus come here for? As a Gentile, do I belong? Right? So it makes sense that Luke will narrate this story of the, gent- of the shepherds in Jesus' first. Because for him, it proves that Jesus came for the poor. Jesus came for the outcasts. Jesus came for people who don't think that they deserve anything. And so this was a confirmation for Luke that he belonged, he mattered, even though he was a Gentile. And then in verse 10, the angel calms the shepherd's fear with the same directive. Do not be afraid. With which Gabriel greeted Zechariah and Mary. Because when the angel of the Lord visits you, I don't know if you've had that encounter before. There's nothing for you to do than be scared because of how majestic they are. He calms their nerves and tells them not to be afraid. 
because today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And so Caesar doesn't matter anymore. There is someone who matters. Somebody born from the line of David. He is the one who matters. And that is, the, that is what the angel of the Lord uh, tells them. And then in verse 13 to 14, Zachar, in verse 13 to 14, Zachariah and Mary received private visits by the angel, right? It was just them when the angel came and brought them their news. But the shepherds are treated with something more spectacular. It says, a company of angels from heaven suddenly joined the angels who brought the good news, and they started singing. Can you even picture what that is like, heaven opening and just having a band of angels singing to low shepherds and singing glory to God in the highest places and peace on earth to, peace on earth to those whom his favor rests on. I can't even imagine how majestic that picture were. And it's like God was giving them something extra. Zachariah and Mary didn't get to experience that. I mean, they had an angel. I mean, they beat us. We haven't had that experience, right? But to have a whole band of angels singing and praising God, that is something spectacular. And then in verses... 15 to 20, the shepherds make their way to Bethlehem. They hurried up. They wanted to see what happened. They found the child just as the angel said. They revealed to Jesus' parents what God has revealed to them. Responses to the message multiply as everyone is amazed. So they see these things, but they share them with others. And then Mary ponders what the shepherds say to her, and the shepherds leave, praising God. Their lives was changed forever that day. And this is what Advent is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. And so what lesson do we draw from this story? What does this story reveal to us about God, and what does it reveal about us? The first thing it reveals to us about God is that God can use an, un an unfortunate event and bring something good out of it. The census was an unfortunate event, right? Because Mary was pregnant. It was very hard to leave home and travel for a few days to go to a place and get registered, a place where they got ripped off. Right? With the little money they had, they also used that money to pay into Rome's uh, military. And yet, even with that, God made something great out of it. Jesus was born in the midst of that. The second reason is everyone is important to God. You are all important to God. If you think your life is hard, just think about the life of a shepherd. I mean, they didn't have time for anything. They were constantly working, constantly moving, and their life was hard. 
They were outcasts. They were poor. Nobody wanted to marry them. People thought they were dishonest. It was a miserable life. And yet, those were the same people that God chose to reveal the birth of his son. And so if God can reveal such a marvelous news to the shepherds, don't you think he will do that to you? And so if you're feeling unworthy this morning, if you're feeling like you don't deserve anything, just stop it. Your life doesn't be the life of the shepherds. And if they were worthy to God, you are worthy to him too. And so you are worthy for God's love. That is what this story reveals about us. We are all worthy of God's love. And because we are worthy of his love, we praise him and then share that love with the rest of the world. Because we are worthy of his love, we praise him and then we share that love with the rest of the world. This is what Advent is all about. This is what the Christmas story is all about. You are important. All lives matter, and black lives matter too. We are all significant. And the day Jesus was born, God couldn't wait for us to hear that story. Couldn't wait. And so, no matter how sinful you think you are, no matter how unworthy you think you are, you are on his mind when he came here on earth. And that is the beauty of Christmas. It wasn't about money and all the food I got growing up. It's about Jesus and the gift that he was to us, as we see in this story. And so as we celebrate, as we take communion this morning, want you to feel worthy of God's love. Like you, you belong. You are His already. Like if you have any doubt, just, just put that out of the door. You are loved. You are cherished. You matter to God. Those shepherds matter to God. And that's why Jesus left His glory and came here on earth and took our own likeness. He was born like us. He ate like us. He played like us so that we can identify with him. He did all of that for you and me, regardless of what you do or how you respond to him. It didn't matter. And even while after he was born, he came and lived a life worthy of God, a life that he imputes in you, and then he died on the cross. Because he knew that we couldn't pay for our penalty. He died for us. And that is what we celebrate this morning. So as we 